Mini-episode 1467 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello everyone, welcome to FDH Lounge Mini episode 1467. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of my favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries and friends, my good pal, Jake Digman, and uh, we are going to be breaking down WrestleMania 38, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I think we're going to go a lot further on the last two words than we do on the first one, but, uh, you know, that's the state of WWE these days, as it were, and uh, it was, uh, we were just talking about this off air here, uh, night two, uh, really sucking the big one relative to night one, just like last year, so, uh, you know, traditions are, are honored in WWE, some of, some of them anyways, and that is that on a two-night WrestleMania, the second one will be not nearly as good. And uh, again, there were parts of night one that were nothing to write home about either. So uh, not, not the way that I would be probably introducing any AEW event, uh, Jake Digman. I think that's safe to say. Um, yeah, that's safe to say, but the, cause a, uh, man, not, not maybe one, a two-night AEW event, but that's going to be, well, you know, that would be fantastic, but uh, it is the granddaddy of them all, as they used to call it, or oh, was that Starcade? Starcade was the granddaddy of them all, right? I think that's the Rose Bowl, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Rose Bowl, whatever, you know, but hey, regardless, Rick, it's a, a pleasure to be here, thank you for the uh, kind introduction, and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're one of my favorite people as well, so I'm looking forward to going to the deep dive and looking at, as you said, the good, the bad, and the quite awfully ugly that took place at uh, the one show of the year that the WWE actually tries. Yes, or and, and, and this is what they get when they uh, try, and you see how uneven that is at best. You and I convening again here. Uh, as we have a number of times over the years, uh, starting out talking wrestling together uh, as the fifth Beatles, as we were back on the old uh, Sports Talk Network on the greatest pro wrestling show that they had, Sunday Night Submission. Yeah, I said it, the greatest show that was on that station for pro wrestling. But uh, as far as it goes here... Uh, ooh, ooh, a 15-year jab. Yes, yes, shot, <laughs> shots fired at good old boat shoes. Yeah, yeah. At, uh, no, it won't. No, it won't. And I always, I would, I, listen, I got my jabs in back in the day. I, I would, I would go sometimes on my own shows. I would be referring to myself as the Sunday night sympathizer. So I would get my own jabs in from time to time about what, what I preferred. But, uh, you and I had a lot of fun on the, uh, the occasions that we were there, uh, together then and uh, have continued to do over a period of time. Yeah, having fun is not necessarily something that you would uh, associate with uh, WrestleMania uh, over the course of the last, uh, really almost 20 years here. I mean, ever since the Attitude Era ended, uh, I mean, they've had some pretty good ones here and there. I loved 30. Um, 31 seemed to be a big hipster one. I wasn't as big into 31, but uh, 
WrestleMania has been hit and miss at best for the last 20 years. And uh, hit and miss basically describes both of these nights here. Uh, you know, both nights, I think the top of the undercard really doesn't, uh, you know, deserve a whole lot in the way of conversation. Uh, the opening match with Boogs and Shin against the Usos, uh, that was one where I gave it two and a half stars. So, I mean, basically an average match right on the nose. That's one where it was tainted by the ending. They had to go home early because of the uh, kind of stupid spot that they put together. Whoever the agent is uh, should get 50 lashes to the taint with a piece of barbed wire. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I hope I'm not overreacting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope I'm not overreacting. But, I mean, listen, the guy lost a quad because of that spot. So, you know, but... It wasn't the greatest match in the world before then either. I'm seeing a whole lot of stuff from a lot of these e-drones on social media proclaiming the Usos is one of the greatest tag teams in the world. They'd be lucky to be in the top ten in AEW, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, they are what they are. You know. I, 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 would, I mean, I would put, definitely put them in the top ten. I don't know if they're, I might put them in the top five. My problem is it would be the Usos. Yeah. It's the same problem I have with the Young Bucks. Is they just, none of their moves mean anything. Right. They just do like, the, like you know, they'll super kick you 700 times in one match, same as the Young Bucks. Do. Right. Well, I'm not really a big Young Bucks fan for, for that reason. And at the same time, it's like, you know, just imagine if Shawn Michaels would have done that, you know, 18 super kicks. The dude would have been like, you know, out for months. <laughs> you know? True. But it is what it is. Um, I think the reason why is that the people want to say that the, you know, they consider the Usos one of the best teams out there is because there's no other teams in WWE. Well, and here's the thing with the Usos and their super kicks. And I'm more of a Young Bucks fan than you are, but I do agree with how much they overdo it and they need to make stuff mean more. But as far as they go, here's the analogy I would make. If if the Young Bucks are like today's dollar in this inflationary climate, then the Usos are like the Weimar Republic marks where you had to use a wheelbarrow to go to the store to, you know, get, get, buy a loaf of bread, okay? I mean, that's... On the inflationary scale, that's where I put the Usos relative to the Young Bucks. Their their super kicks mean absolutely nothing. Right, because I mean it just become. A, I mean, but unfortunately, that's just a state of wrestling in general. That something like that that was once considered like a high impact maneuver is now just a transition spot. It's very similar to the DDT. When Jake Roberts, you know, guys like Arn Anderson, Raven, Michael Hayes, they did that back in the day. It was, okay, you're done now. You just pop right back up and go to the next thing. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that's just, you know, how, I don't know if it's evolved or devolved. Well, <laughs> that's your perspective, I guess. Devolved in that way. And to, to, to the word that you used, uh, Jake, when you were talking about it as a maneuver, the super kick back in the day would be, what a maneuver! But today it's just a transition spot, if that. So... Uh, an opening match that uh, ho-hum, the Usos take the belts home. And apparently, uh, the way that you qualify for becoming the number one contender to a world title these days is by losing the opening match on night one of WrestleMania uh, to the tag team champions, as Shinsuke is going to be up next. And again, I love Shinsuke, even though he's been misused the entire time he's been on the main roster, or almost all of it. But, uh, you know, throwing him ice cold into the world title picture is... Uh, the biggest E move that you could possibly uh, expect in this day and age here. So, uh, But it's not like the guy in the next match really got elevated much either. The other alleged biggest baby face on SmackDown, uh, Drew McIntyre, Happy Corbin. I give that one two and a quarter stars, and I was probably being generous. 
I mean, again, it, the way that you, you elevate, quote-unquote, Drew McIntyre and try and make him seem like a serious contender to a man he's never beat, Roman Reigns, is by throwing him in there with your resident lukewarm gatekeeper and happy Corbin. Again, typical E-move. Um, I had a buddy of mine, which you're going to find this kind of shocking, who, who was a hardcore fan and then became a casual fan and is now back into being a hardcore fan, I guess. He said his favorite moment from all of WrestleMania, I kid you not, was Drew McIntyre kicking out of the end of days. He said he, he popped harder for that than anything else that happened on the show because no one had ever kicked out of it. And I was like, huh, me? I had people over. I didn't even realize that that happened until the match was over. Yeah. But um, that, and I'm like, okay, that could have been you know, an absolutely epic moment. Obviously, for some fans watching, it was. And then the whole stupidity afterwards where he broke the ropes, it was like, why would you do that? What was the point of that other than just to put a little stunt in there? It didn't go anywhere. It didn't do anything. Uh, all the thing it reminded me of uh, was going harkening back to when the, the demon fell off the top rope and all of a sudden forgot how to wrestle and lost all his powers. Right. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you cut the ropes in half. That was completely pointless. And poor Drew, a couple years ago, you know, he was uh, defeating Brock Lesnar. Had we not had COVID, that would have been a star-making moment in front of a sold-out stadium, the whole crowd behind him. Unfortunately for him, that didn't happen. And dude carried the ball as much as he could during the uh, um, uh, during the whole Thunderdome era. But hopefully, you know, they can do something with him. But as it looks right now, you know, even if they build up for Drew versus Roman, I don't have any interest in seeing Drew win the title excuse me, from Roman, and my friend, I just don't see it happening. It's just, you know, they, they, in my opinion, they easeled him too much, if you know what I mean by yes. that, where the things that got him over, yep. being a badass that came out there and, uh, you know, didn't take any flack from anybody, all of a sudden he's smiling and taking, wearing Christmas sweaters for the company's photo, and, or, or uh, carrying a giant sword, <laughs> as it is now, by, uh, my wrestling chat group with my uh, friends of mine that you know, you've met, met them all before. Yep. They all said, they go, we hate the sword. And I, I kept poking a little fun. I'm like, this thing is literally a sword fight. They're not even trying to hide what this, what this is a symbolism of. They're literally just having a sword fight. And it like, turn them off. They're like, I don't care. I absolutely don't care. And other than the one person I knew who said that was his favorite moment, I don't see many other people um, getting too excited over what happens here. And now we're now madcap and uh, happy are going to fight each other. And quite frankly, that's what I call fast forward on a Friday night. Yeah. And look, what you just said, that's the first I heard of it. Somebody kicked out of the end of days because part of it is you have a company, a sports entertainment company, that's ashamed that they have any semblance of pro wrestling in there. They never hammer that home. I didn't know that because they don't mention it versus how protected, for example, is the one-wing angel? And how long were people waiting in AEW for somebody to kick out of the one-wing angel? And by the way, if you were in any of the betting pools on who was going to be the first guy, you lost them all. The fact that it was Omega himself, spoiler alert. But, uh, you know, again... Well, that's true. That's true. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they, they never, they didn't really hype it up. But yeah, for in NXT and on the main roster, no one ever kicked out of that move. Okay. Which is crazy that you know they didn't do more with it. <laughs> to be like, it just became a 
like the rollaway spot almost on an undercard match where people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. and like, you know, I'm pretty sure when it happened, Michael Cole's like, this is a big deal. I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? listen, props to your friend for even noticing it because he noticed it more than, you know, people at the company cared to hype it up. So that, that shows you he's a hardcore fan. But, uh, right. again, a match that accomplished nothing for Drew. Uh, the next match here, your resident uh, Miz Showbiz match of the year. This year it's not uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the brown bunny, bad bunny, whatever, as, as I totally age myself up by botching the name, but uh, uh, yeah, this year he's in there with uh, Logan Paul uh, as his tag team partner instead of across the ring from uh, Bad Bunny, uh, facing the Mysterios, and it, this is just, again, I, I, gave, I did give it two and three quarter stars, I mean, I thought it was decent. Logan Paul, I mean, probably outworked anybody in the match, which, you know, you probably could have won some money in Vegas on, on that proposition. Uh, but, uh, it, again, it's a thing here where, you know, and I, I saw somebody, I hope it was jokingly online, when he's talking about the four pillars of WWE and their future and naming Dominic Mysterio as one of them. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, they don't push him for crap. And, again, this is one of these things here where, I mean, he makes me long for the days of David Flair when I see him in the ring. I, I just... Talk about a guy that wouldn't be in there if not for his last name. And he's probably a nice kid. I don't feel good about saying this, but I have no desire to see him. I wouldn't have desire to see him haul garbage to the curb, much less Russell in another match. So this match did nothing for me. My girlfriend said the exact same thing about Dominic Mysterio. She goes, we don't have to watch this. Like We can fast forward over this. I, I don't like him. I don't understand why he's here. <laughs> yeah, he does, he does nothing. He does absolutely nothing, and I'm like, yeah, you're, you're you're right. And he's one of the situations where I really think it would have benefited him to get some work other places, maybe under a mask or something. Yeah. So it wasn't as, so much as like here he is, and he's just there. Unfortunately, I've got a feeling that's going to be for the rest of Ray's run. It's just going to be him there with, uh, you know, the whole thing with his kid. But as far as this match goes, it was to me, it was fine for what it was. I mean, it was about what I expected it to be. And, of course, at the end of it, Miz gets his heat, I guess his heat back by uh, dropping Logan Paul. I gotta, right. you know, some people out there, they, you know, there's people out there, the purists who hate, like, the Paul brothers. And I do. Doing I love them. And, yeah. I love them because, to me, they're classic heels. Where it's like, you know, people out there are like, oh, like, more so in MMA and boxing, I find it like, and I didn't know who they were until I started doing it. I don't, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the demographic who follows these YouTube videos. Right. What these guys do. So I, uh, I had no clue who they were, but I got to give props and credit where credit is due. You know, as far as a celebrity goes, he, uh, it, there's worse people you can, there's worse routes you can take other than basically just taking Eddie Guerrero's movesets. And for the sake of the match and what it was, I thought Logan Paul pulled it off very well. And quite frankly, I feel if he, you know, dedicates himself to it, I don't know. He could, uh, I, I could see him coming back perhaps, you know, doing like the, the match with Miz at SummerSlam or something like that. But, you know, he, it seemed like he took it a lot more seriously than, you know, from the days gone by of like a Lawrence Taylor or the ones you could tell that were just in it for a paycheck. Yeah. It seemed like, you know, he was really into it and, you know, put a, put a lot of effort into it. And I don't really know if I would have worn a million dollar Pokemon card to the ring with me, but at the same time, I'm just amazed that there's a Pokemon card that cost a million dollars. Yeah. Hey, you know, again, that's not my 
generation, not my time, but uh, there's an old saying about this. I thought this match was uh, perfectly acceptable wrestling. Yes, perfectly cromulent, I suppose. And uh, in, in looking at it here, the funniest thing afterwards is apparently, if you, if you believe the dirt sheet fodder, Logan Paul had it written into his contract that he got to leave the match as a face, which was why Miz turned on him. Uh, but Miz got probably one of the biggest babyface pops of Saturday night when he did. So that match is going to be hilarious. Oh, yeah. It's going to be hilarious. Which, by the way, speaking of being a babyface, I'm going to circle back around to what we said before on the stuff with, with Drew McIntyre, uh, because I, I forgot to mention this before. One of my favorite self-invented terms, the white meatification of babyfaces. And what you said about Drew McIntyre, that is basically what it is. He must fit the mold of being a fan-pandering goof. I mean, they even did it with The Rock. That was what happened with The Rock in 02, of where he stopped being as cool. That's what fueled the 03 heel run. He was getting booed. He got booed out of the building against Rock at Summer, uh, against Brock at SummerSlam 02. I mean, Vince McMahon could, could even make uh, The Rock unpalatable as a babyface. They do this to everybody. Yeah, he's stuck in, like, the 1970s when it comes to that stuff. Right. Like, he's stuck in this whole idea of, like, Anytime, the only one that they never did that to, and I'm amazed, is Steve Austin. Right. He's the only one that never got, like, you know, white meatified, as yeah. you called it. Um, every single other person, whatever it is when they become a babyface, it's like, you know, I think for me, the absolute worst example of all time is the 04 Randy Orton run. That was just like, what did you do? Right. Like, you have this young, cocky heel that's like, you know, pretty much set up in a situation like takeover evolution of the rock of the nation. And then they just turn him into like, let's kiss babies and smile all the time. And that's, um, we'll, we'll, we're going to come back to this when we talk about the women's match. Okay. <laughs> um, this will all apply. All these things we're just talking about right now will definitely apply to one Ronda Rousey later on in the card. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that will be the case then. And it's one of these things, it's so funny you say that about Austin, because the other thing was, was that with Austin, he made the exact opposite mistake, which first and foremost was turning him heel in 01, but then when he was heel, it wasn't the whole thing of like, you know, because how much, how much white hot heel heat would Austin have been three years later if it was like, I am going to wear your suit, I am going to be the corporate guy, whatever. No, he's still coming out there in the Fox Fear T-shirt every week so that he doesn't lose his merch sales. I mean, he got right. to—he was basically, you know, badass face Steve Austin as a heel instead of being the ultimate corporate suck up to Mr. McMahon that would have really gotten him the heat, but would have cost them all the merch sales. So again, the the way that they make these decisions, uh, again, we we go back to that there. Really, ever since the end of the last. Uh, wrestling wars period here when they haven't had to be accountable for any kind of competition. Uh, that's really where Vince, I think, really started to lose his fastball once and for all. I was about to say that what they've been doing with Becky these last several months is yet another example of that, and I do think she is still somewhat miscast in this role, but I am going to say, I think this match was, and, and for somebody where I look at Bianca and she doesn't strike me as being a great worker, but that match against Sasha last year at Mania was magic, and this match, I think, is the greatest women's match in the history of WrestleMania. Four and a half stars. Uh, there's just Bianca to me is is better than I had given her credit for. I mean, she has been in and, and really held up her end of 
been at least the, the at least the 50-50 part, if not more so, of two all-time classics at WrestleMania. And even Becky. Becky is somebody where I was always like, oh, she's really above average as a worker, but I always felt like she was getting over more so on the force of personality. Holy crap, these two, the moves, the storytelling, everything, like I say, to me, the greatest women's match in the history of WrestleMania, bar none. Well, I mean, I can't really disagree with you on that one, and it's not really a hard bar to go up against. We'll just, we'll just take out WrestleMania 1 through 32. Right. <laughs> up at that point. None of right. those matches ever really counted but at that point. But Bianca, yeah, Sasha, is, Bianca Sasha was a tough bar to crack, and they cracked it. Yeah. Um, Bianca Belair is an example of, you know, one of the very few stars that, they, uh, that, the, that the Fed, as it was now, I guess the E, um, has had the opportunity to make and so far I've done right by her. My only issue I have with her is the same thing going back to our previous conversation is where um, every time you know she comes out to the ring, she's always smiling and skipping. Right. And I get that you know like everybody comes down they have to do their signature stuff, but it's like man, if this if Becky Lynch had just tried to smash her throat in, and you're coming out for like you know this grudge like for a title thing. Don't be smiling and skipping and happy to be here coming down to the ring. Come down with, like, you know, a purpose, a look on your face. And, like, you know, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm here for a fight. But, again, this is just a typical WWE thing that, you know, their baby faces all have to be smiley happy. And that's just, just a slight little knock on that I don't think takes away from the overall of what that match was. And it told an absolutely great story. Um Finally puts an end to Becky Lynch's uh, <laughs> historic women's title run because technically she never actually lost the belt ever right. up until that moment. So she'd been champion for what she would have been a champion for our, for about three years. Right. Coming into it, so that, that's a big moment. And obviously they're going. I mean, last year Sasha, this year Becky, they're really doubling down and trying to make some sort of a star as much as they can out of Bianca Belair. Now, the interesting thing is it's going to see, you know, where they go with it next, if, you know, they give her a sustained run, or if Charlotte Flair somehow just comes over and takes her belt again. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And it's a thing, it's very interesting the point you make about her coming out and doing the smiley face thing, because the way that she got over in NXT, the whole EST of NXT, it was, in a sense... It was similar to Sasha in terms of getting this badass heel character over, such that it was when, when Bianca was going to be a face on the main roster, at first I was having a hard time picturing it, because her persona in NXT, as you know, was always a very arrogant one. It was a 180 from this. So I give her credit in terms of versatility for being able to play this face character, when, you know, is smiling, humble, whatever. She was never humble in NXT, and that was the stuff that got her over. But much like with, with Sasha, I think that the best version of her as a face is the part that incorporates that. I agree with you that Bianca is somebody that should not be white meatified because it, it limits her. She's not just a, you know, smiling Bob Backlund type here. She's so much more interesting than that, and I, I, like you, I wish they'd let her show that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, all it takes is one little tweak all of a sudden for that EST to go from, like, you know, the, some of the fans can get behind to a very easy little tweak to make her a red hot heel. Everyone just like, you know, oh, she thinks she's better than me. So it'll be, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the direction they, they go with uh, on this is going to be. But, um, yeah, uh, 
can't argue with you about uh, best women's match because we talk about the other I mean, the other one the comment I want to bring up too when we get to the other women's match on the card. Oh, it might be the same comment I've got to make. We'll see if great minds think alike here. Uh, in between them, I guess you could call this the popcorn match in between the two women's matches, right? Just a little thing to bring down the crowd in between the two women's matches. Seth against the mystery part, uh, opponent. and uh, This is one of these things where, again, we all knew who it was going to be. But it was a thing where the, the, the way that you could kind of suspend your disbelief and almost kind of believe the dirt sheets a little bit of like, well, maybe a deal wasn't completely done or fell apart at the last minute was that Bringing in Cody with the full AEW presentation is something I didn't see coming because we talked about this when we did our state of uh, WWE talk last summer here. And I said to you at the time, NXT 2.0 represented, among other things, the death of the Monopoly vision. That, you know, you not you, this is no longer going to be you have your main roster stuff that's in Vince's image, but you have other things to try to monopolize the rest of the business here. Something to compete with all the other corners of the industry. No, everything is now just in his image. And you have to go back to the Monday Night Wars. This is a further slap in Vince's face having to do this, and I didn't think he'd humble himself. Because to Vince, him and all of the fans are in a bubble. And if somebody's in another place, they don't exist. And this is the first time... And again, maybe they could justify it to themselves like, well, WrestleMania is a very smarky crowd, people from all over the world, it's an atypical crowd, whatever. But they had to put a guy out there on TV with his complete AEW presentation and doing the thing that AEW does, because they never insult anybody's intelligence. Whenever anybody comes on AEW TV, they're always like, you know who this guy is, he's great. This is WWE having to do it with a guy lifting his entire AEW persona, music, presentation, everything. That's the part that shocked me, is that this is Vince, yet again, admitting defeat on the entire world associating this industry with WWE and WWE alone. I was absolutely, this was um, one of the most surprising things I've ever seen uh, in WWE, and just to reiterate what you just said, I absolutely agree. The fact with the, the with his music hit, and it came up, that whole opening of Wrestling Has More Than One Royal Family, which is a direct shot at Vince. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, and then he rose up, they gave him, like, the superstar grant. I was actually happy, we're still watching it, uh, like, the people over there. I was almost tempted to see him turn back at Double A, walking out, and all of a sudden, here comes Brandy, too. Right. Like, I was... And the dog. The whole... And the dog. Like, the <laughs> full-on... Um, the, the, the whole shebang as it is and those two absolutely as far as the match quality itself those two delivered an outstanding match as we knew they would yes I mean uh, you know and, and, and in of that they even wrestled what I would consider to be an AEW style match they you know as far as like you know a Cody AEW style match the, the multiple uh, crossroads at the end of it um, adding in the nice little tribute to his father before going into the final crossroads to pick up victory in the match but as i said to friends of mine uh some like casual fans that were at the house i'm like it's absolutely mind-blown my mind's blown that vince mcmahon allowed him to basically and that was vince's way of admitting that other promotions exist and they sure they had jericho on the wwe network before but on the awesome podcast right this far and away was like the biggest um 
emotions. I don't recall any time ever in history that someone kept their entire gimmick music and all from another promotion to come into the WWE. That's always been their thing, where it's like, you know, we're going to we're gonna make it better. We're going to change you in our image. The only one I can think of was Booker T, but they bought him. They bought uh, WCW, so it didn't really matter, so they bought the rights to it. This is something that's just like, you know, what's the old term? I, I, uh, a mark-out moment, as they say, because it was just like, you, you never would have expected to see it coming, and the fact that Vince allowed this on his television show, and of course, watching it in the household people, I at that moment I was convinced Rollins was winning. I was like, I've seen this show before. Rollins is going to win because ain't no way Vince is going to put over something else. And then I'm like, I'll be damned. I was wrong, which to me just means they're saving Cody to beat him to Roman Reigns later on because there's absolutely no way in my mind until they tweak the character. He, they're not going to let him keep this. I don't think. Eventually, he will get new music. And he'll be like, oh, no, it's better. It's different now. Because, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give it to you a little bit. Like, I think this past Monday on Raw, you know, Cody said wrestling twice. And Biz is like, or he said belt. And he's like, it's a title. And he said wrestling. And Biz is like, it's sports entertainment, which you could clearly tell it was Vince McMahon speaking through the Miz right. on that one. So they're going to give you everything you want at the beginning of it because being the show with so many casual viewers, like, like, oh, my God, you know, things have changed. And then... Through the course of time, I don't know if you remember, if you recall when Goldberg first came in. Right. He had his music, he had his persona. Right. And then a couple weeks later, they changed everything into something completely different. So I think we're going to see slowly see the AEW-ness of Cody start to get chipped away until, unfortunately, when it comes time for the big money matchup, he, like, I guarantee you, whether it's at SummerSlam or wherever he, it is that he faces Roman, I guarantee you it's going to be um, different music and kind of a, uh, a, a WWE tweak to make him more fit in, right? They wanted to be the special moment because it was WrestleMania, but as we've seen many, many times in the past, the, the WWE doesn't want anybody to be too special or then they become bigger than the promotion, and we can't be having that. Well, that's a very good point, and uh, a couple things about what you said there. As far as anybody coming over unchanged, man, oh man, oh man, you might be right. He, he might stand alone as far as being unchanged. There's only a couple things I can think of that might even be on the same level. Late 02, Big Papa Pump coming in, I think he was pretty unchanged. But uh, again, you know, they jobbed him out to Triple H a couple of times in some bad matches. 91, Ric Flair came in with the full presentation, except they never called him Nature Boy. So, and they changed his music. They did alter it somewhat, yeah. They altered it, yeah, he, you know. He, he didn't have the whatever it is. It was, it, yeah, it was, it was a slightly different version of it. You're right about that. They tweaked yeah, they it. Did their own, but other than that, he was very much the same. But um, yeah, they did change his his music uh, when he came in. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hall Nash and Hogan also in '02. I think was uh, kind of this, you know, early '02. But I mean, no, just the fact that we can name off the top of yeah. our heads. And with, with Hall Nash and Hogan, they own the rights to that. So technically it'd be theirs. I'm sure it was created somewhere else. Well, that's true. they own the rights to it. That's so, true. And the same thing with Scott Steiner. Yeah, same thing with Scott Steiner, Booker T. Everybody who came in from WCW, they bought the, the, all the rights to that stuff. So um, they had, maybe this is just their answer to like, you know, AW stealing the Hardy Boys music. Well, <laughs> like, uh, you know. We'll steal Cody's music. And, and by the way, God bless Cody Rhodes, because if you remember a while back, you know, he had, he, 
uh, took a deal where he gave them back the rights to Bash to the Beach or Bash to the Beach or right. was Halloween Havoc. Basically, all all the shows that his dad created, right? They he let the sold. I think it was some sort of a trade so that he had the rights to his last name. And now coming in there, you gotta believe that he owns the right that he owns all this stuff. So if he's going somewhere else, wherever he goes, he can be the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes, with his music and with everything that's going on. That um, as, he, as legally speaking, it's the only way he can do this. And then you know, kind of rents it out to uh, to WWE for however long he's going to be there for this run until he does the eventual return to AEW, which we all know is going to happen eventually. Well, and I'll tell you what, and I agree with you. I thought it was a great match. I gave it four stars and. Had a lot of good teases. I, I, unlike you, I believed Cody was going over all along because it, they didn't bring him in with that presentation to job him out right away. This is a thing. If they committed to do that, Vince, Vince was pot committed, as they say in poker, uh, and I knew Cody was going over. But it is a thing going forward here where in, in looking at this, I mean, what's so funny is that, you know, you, you even had Kenny Omega uh, in an interview with uh, the, uh, the Observer uh, making a crack about the Cody verse. I mean, Cody had worn out his welcome, at least as a face. He could have been a red hot heel in AEW doing the oblivious uh, type gimmick, but he didn't want to. And he just fits better over there. It's a thing where when this first happened, we were all shocked, right? We were so shocked when Cody left and it seemed unnatural and he was one of the founding fathers of AEW. But like now that it's happened, like, you know, they don't have to have a, a Cody verse that they wedge him into on AEW anymore. And, and he actually fits here. I mean, for as much as Jericho does the great parody of a sports entertainment wrestler, Cody really is more of a sports entertainment wrestler. I mean, look, you know, part of the whole thing of like his refusal to turn heel was like a poor man Cena kind of a thing. So, you know, Cody does. He, he fits better over there, and that is kind of a backhanded slap from me because I don't really like the WWE promotion, what they do for the most part, and I love AEW, but now that we've seen him there, doesn't it just seem like he fits better there, like everybody's going to be happier all the way around? I'd rather see him there and Keith Lee and so many other guys I love in AEW. That's a great trade for me. Yeah, I saw a great meme, and it was like Tony Khan and Vince McMahon, and it was a proposed trade, and it was all of the guys from WWE to AEW, and then they said Cody to WWE. Yeah. That's <laughs> a fair trade, and um, you got to give credit to credit due. Cody Rhodes figured out the, the way to make to success in the WWE, and that's to leave, go somewhere else, and make a name for yourself. Yeah. The only way you ever get over there. I mean, if you stay with, if you would have stayed within that system, uh, he'd, be, he'd be out of the. I mean, he'd be on the same level as a Miz, I guess. Which you know, it, it, it's, uh, what do you call, what do you call it? Good old reliable Miz. Well, you know, he's just there. At the risk of sounding bitter, I hope this time around, I hope he's at least more grown up. That if he has any frustrations, he'll have the balls to take them up with Vince instead of publicly burying any of the writers. But hey, that's just me. Uh, I, I hope that he will, you know, you know, fight the real power, as they say, uh, rather than, uh, you know, helpless people punching down at them on the ladder. But uh, we'll, we'll see if Cody's really grown up since the last time he's there, if any of that stuff materializes again. Uh, as far as a couple people who uh, arguably need to grow up, that takes us to our next match here. As far as the egos involved of uh, whether it be Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, Talk about a matched pair in that sense here, too. I mean, 
two women, I will admit, with great athleticism and the, the capacity to, to do some impressive things in the ring here, but this is a thing here where, I mean, there are certain women's matches where, and I don't remember which one this was, but there, there was, I remember, I think I talked about it on the show with you, and it was two of the women that were bigger and everything like that, and it was a Haas fight, and I thought it was really entertaining. It was like, wow, this would be like a women's equivalent of like Vader against Stan Hansen. And I never watched this. I never imagined this match would be that. And it was everything I expected it to be and less. I give it three and a quarter stars largely because of atmosphere. The crowd was into it for at least parts of it. It felt like a big fight because of the, the, the participants involved. But it was a real drag and a real letdown relative to what it could have been. A stupid finish. Just all the way around, I mean, completely, completely underutilizing these talents, uh, both of whom were miscast. Uh, Ronda's not a natural face. I mean, Charlotte's a natural heel, but at this point, I think she's probably got more go-away heat than anything else because of the way she's been uh, presented. So, uh, a complete letdown of a match that, of course, uh, Charlotte's father went on uh, Twitter and said it was the greatest women's match in the history of WrestleMania when it was a distant number two in the same night. Uh, yeah, that's the, the point I was going to bring up earlier. That, I knew it. I, saw that I knew it. I was like, dude, it wasn't even the best women's match on that show. <laughs> 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 like, what are you talking about? Great no, minds think alike, Jake. It's like, so, it's like someone take away Rick's, uh, Rick's social media. Like, dude, just go away. Like, <laughs> if anybody has, unfortunately has go away right now, I hate to say it, but it might be the nature boy Rick Flair. Where it's just like, dude, you know, whatever sympathy you racked up many years ago when you almost died uh, every time, it's like, man, now you're just like, you know, pretty much ever since that whole Dark Side of the Ring episode has come out, he's just been, you know, instead of like, you know, being like, hey, I'm not the same person that uh, that, that time I did, instead of manning up and taking responsibility for his actions, like acknowledging, saying like, you know, hey, maybe I wasn't the best person at that time. No, he's just doubling down and for to me he acts like an adolescent child. He's acting like, you know, he's fifteen years old again and he's still trying to glom off the spotlight of his now it's his daughter, unfortunately. But um, anyway, back to this match. Yeah, this could have been so much better if they would have presented at least Rowdy Ronda Rousey as badass Ronda Rousey that she was in her previous run. Right. No, instead she's like the smiling, happy baby face. You know, this is the worst weight meetification of anybody right. that I've seen. Everything that made her special, that made you know people want to get behind her and be like, you know, okay, guys like you know that's why everybody loved her or hated her. They tuned in when she was in the UFC and she was ripping a girl's arms off. When she came walking down to the walking down the, the, to the octagon, she had that look in her eyes of like business is about to pick up. I'm you know I'm here to hurt somebody. In her first run. In WWE, she came out with that look of like, okay, I'm here. And, and I felt her best work was near the end of her run where she finally just came out and said like, you know, screw you guys. Right. <laughs> this stuff's all fake. I'm real. Right. Because nothing's going to kick wrestling fans off more than telling them what they're doing is fake. Like, we know it, but it's like, don't say it. So I mean, like, you know, the whole I'm better than you thing. I can do this for real. I was like, okay, there's a gimmick. There's something I can get behind. Have her come in there and just massacre people. Nope, she comes out just like, I had a, I, I'm a mom now, so now I'm a super happy, smiling baby face. It's like, like no, dude. <laughs> like, that's, I have to, the, the same thing that I, I 100% of the blame falls on Vince McMahon's shoulders for this one. It is the same thing that Finn Balor in the past, and I just, I was, it just wouldn't 
reminds me of when they come out there smiling, happy, like I'm so happy to be here. And Rod even said in an interview that Vince told her she needs to smile more. And I'm like, did you have no idea who it is that you signed? Because, you know, not, never once did anybody who was watching Ronda Rousey's run in the UFC go, you know, I really wish she would smile more when she came out to the ring. Well, yeah, and it's a thing where, you know, it always used to be said back in the day, the most successful wrestlers way back in the day, that they were the ones where, uh, you know, the, uh, the the most successful ones were the ones that were like them, but with their personality turned up to 10. The most natural version, and I, I say this, this may not sound like a compliment, but it is a compliment, the most natural version of Ronda Rousey is asshole Ronda Rousey. That's money. Yes. That's money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, her not giving a crap, not wanting to fit in with that audience. Right. Yeah, keeping it for her own little group, her and Shayna Baszler. Right, you know? right. Put those two together. Yeah. Then she has a heater to work with her, because Shayna ain't doing nothing. <laughs> you know? So, but instead we get what we get here, where they're like, you know, relying on her name, but it's like, you know, when, I don't know, instead of feeling like uh, early UFC run Ronda Rousey, this match felt more like Ronda Rousey versus Amanda Nunes to me, where the mystique had already been wiped out, and you're like, okay, uh, we're just waiting for you to lose now. Well, I'll go a step further. How about you put Sonya Deville with them? Do you like a shooter stable? How about that? Yeah. Oh, it'd be great. I absolutely agree with you. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we're going to have to wait a while to see that. And I just, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> he of little face. <laughs> I know. I know. And instead, you get overbooked crap like that. And uh, yeah. Although, the one thing I will say about Ric Flair from what you said before. People are taking it a little bit far when they said that, you know, Ric Flair even managed to babyface Mark Madden. No, I thought it was hilarious when he threw Madden under the bus. Actually, I fired you. And when Madden was on uh, some other podcast whining about, some guy came up to me in a urinal at a Pittsburgh sporting event and said, Ric Flair fired your ass. Woo! Like, that's good stuff, Jake Digman. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if it's possible for anybody to babyface Mark Madden. Um, There's another guy that I'm amazed in 2022 still has relevancy. Yeah, well, you know, if you're willing to say and do anything, uh, you know, the ultimate troll, uh, he does find a way to keep himself in the spotlight, although leeching off of Ric Flair is one less way for him to do that. But uh, we get to the main event, and uh, again, I, I could make a crack about leeching off the spotlight, but... Uh, what, what, what goes to be a version of the Kevin Owens show uh, into this, you know, unsanctioned uh, match. Uh, I mean, there, there are a number of things that didn't make sense about this, not least of which Austin stayed retired for 19 years because his neck is like a stack of dimes, and yet he takes a suplex on the, the ramp. I mean, of all the things that, you know, were, uh, you know, that could have been done to, to camouflage it, and quite frankly, this match had a lot in common with the stretch of his career after he came back, because he was much more of a pure brawler, post-Owen dropping him on his head accidentally. And uh, again, they did a lot of smoke and mirrors stuff in the Attitude Era to kind of cover up for that. And this was a lot of smoke and mirrors. I gave it three and a quarter stars purely on atmosphere alone, because the crowd was going banana for it. But it's also the thing of like, okay, I'm watching this on the WWE Network, and people are popping for it because it's live on the WWE Network, but I could watch much better versions of this if I just went to see one that was taped from like 20 years ago. And I'm the kind of guy where I can mark out for stuff, 
but marking out for stuff that I saw done much better a long time ago, I guess I guess I found the limits of my marking out, Jake Dickman. Well, uh, Rick Morris, here's the thing right now. Nostalgia is like the biggest thing going. Yes. Um, there, there's such a nostalgia that's pushed towards people that are in, in the 30, let's say, I don't know, 35 to 50 demographic. Like, they're pushing really hard. If you look at the, the Super Bowl this past year, you know, the, the halftime show was all about nostalgia, all the, all the commercials. As much stuff they could bring in from the late 90s was a thing. It is, you know, nostalgia is everywhere. And this match was pure nostalgia. And uh, our, our buddy Jim Cornette brought up something great about this match with his, uh, his review of it. Steve Austin was never good. Ever. <laughs> After he, like, let me rephrase that. After his neck injury, Steve right. Austin wasn't good. It was smoke and mirrors, yeah. His, his, it was smoke and mirrors. His kicks looked like shit. His, uh, you know, he couldn't do uh, so many things. He was so limited because of after the uh, the unfortunate pile driver at the, uh, from Owen Hart. There wasn't really much that he could do, but it's like everybody put on blinders because of it was Steve. Right. And they wanted to believe so much in it, in of the fact that, like, you know, he even said, like, yo, um, Austin's kicks look ten times worse now, but no one cared because they crowd because they never cared. Right. They were just happy to see him because he is the only character, really, other than The Rock, that they haven't completely brought back and ruined. Right. <laughs> Every other legend they ever had, they brought back in, and they either overstayed their welcome, a la a Goldberg. Or they just absolutely just buried them. Fed them to uh, Randy Orton. Your big shows to like literally every single person, you know, that they would just bring them in and bury them. I mean, uh, freaking Randy Orton spitting Harley Race's face on like, right. back in the day, you know. Austin is the only one to his credit, I guess, had been protected um, from the uh, of the typical uh, e-burial job and this match here was like you know it's funny when we mentioned doing this uh, uh, podcast today I was kind of thinking to myself like you're, cause you're always one of those guys that you know you're looking for what for the future what you know let's create new stars let's make right. things happen like my, my buddy Yuri was like Kevin Owens should win I'm like in a perfect world Kevin Owens should win but he's not going to right <laughs> this to me was a tribute to Old school Texas wrestling, and what I mean by that is it, it harkened back to the days of a Fritz von Erich, where or a, or a um, uh, cowboy Bill Watts, where the old gunslingers got to come back one last time to teach that young whippersnapper a lesson, which was you know come out of retirement like I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm good once as I ever was. Wow! And quite frankly, this was the one that I know quite a few people who don't watch WWE. They just don't. They just don't. They doing other things, you know. Um, if you look at the numbers, there's quite a many people out there that are, fall under that category. Um, but they watched this. I had a guy actually right before we started recording this sent me a text about how he had had a um, uh, a free subscription to Sling TV, and he came across Monday Night Raw, and he was watching Monday Night Raw in USA, and he saw that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be in uh, be re- uh, at WrestleMania, which he saw that he was going to be wrestling. That's the thing they said. Oh, it's going to be at the KO show. This is the most casual of fans was just convinced it was going to be a match, which as everybody else was, just because the way they, they promoted it. As such. Right. Or it's like you know not going to have there as a confrontation, but so he saw that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be having a match at WrestleMania. So now he had the Peacock Peacock subscription. He 
But just because Steve Austin was going to be wrestling, and he's like, okay, and he was texting me, and I was going like, now I'm watching old school WCW versus NWO stuff from back in the day. So there's one example of how this got one person who was a lapsed fan saw someone from, you know, that they remembered and was like, hey, I want to watch that. I want to see it, which goes back to the uh, full circle, goes back to the whole thing. This match was 100% nostalgia. Yes. That's all it was. It was 100% nostalgia going into it that, um, and, and the, the people at my house, man, they were eating it up. Every single person who was fans of the Attitude Era absolutely loved it. was like, oh my God, I don't know what it says for the state of the, of the company, though, that their biggest star is a 57-year-old retired person from days gone by. Um, but, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, you know, as far as a vacuum for that moment. It, I don't think... I could really compare it to is kind of like a Rock Hogan. In of that, you know, the atmosphere made a hundred percent for what it was, right? And the, the you know, the, the crowd. Like I was at Rock Hogan live. That was like you know, being there live. Like if you were to pull all of us, we were seventy years old, and Hulk Hogan was taking on you know the evil foreign menace. We'd believe you. And then something happened. We're like, whoa, you know. But uh, Saturday night. Nobody really woke up from that. You know, the, the spell wasn't removed at the end of it. You know, it's just like, hey, Hogan must pose, Austin must drink. And there was no other way that they could have ended the show. If you're going to have to right. Austin wrestle a match, it has to go on last. Well, you know? But- so, I mean, <laughs> no one's going to be able to top it. But as far as, you know, was it the match itself, the star rating go? I don't, it's one of those things where it was more, it was 100% about spectacle as opposed to actual quality. And, Gotta give credit where credit is due. God bless Kevin Owens. God bless Kevin Owens and an outstanding performance from him bumping like a crazed man yep. out there for, for Austin. And you gotta believe, man, that that, 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 that was a dream come true for him. It, it had you know, to be. It you had want to be. AEW or do you want to work with Steve Austin? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a draw to get him to stick around. I want to ask you real quick, though. I mean, you're not suggesting this was on the level of Hogan Rock, though, right? I mean... No, 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 okay. no, no. I, I, no, not at all. Okay. Match quality? No. But what I'm saying is, it was as far as, like, an atmosphere. Sure, where, you know, right, like, right. For the people that were, like, because we were, because I was actually, one of my buddies that was over was at Hogan Rock with me, and we were making comments about, talking about, like, you know, that's one of those matches and moments that forever has stand the test of time, where it's like, you know, that the match itself sucked. Right. But we, as the live crowd, made that what it was. Yes, you did. And for the some young fan in that crowd that night, or happened to be, you know, this could be their version of that. In of that, like, you know, oh my God, the whole atmosphere and being there for Steve Austin's last match and the last hurrah and everything. I'm not saying it is, just because, you know, everything was always better back in the day, is that the old saying? But I can see for someone who wasn't around for it, who never had that opportunity to, like, you know, it's, I, I really hate this comparison, but it kind of pops into my head. It's like, you know, the people who really wanted to believe in WWECW, because were the ones who weren't actually at the original ECW. Right. So they, they wanted their own version of it. This is for people that, like, quite frankly, probably weren't even alive when Steve Austin had his run. So they got their one opportunity to experience a version of what it was, which is why 
to me, it's like the ultimate tribute to old school Texas wrestling back in the day, because it's the same thing back in like the 70s when Fritz Von Erich would come out of retirement to take on those dastardly freebirds. It's just, it's a generational thing that the more things change, the more they stay the same over the course of time. And as far as like being a, a tribute in that sense, I thought they hit the ball out of the park. Yeah, I mean, it was as far as the paint-by-numbers stuff, they did it all. I mean, they hit all the notes on it. Uh, three things about what you had to say there. Uh, one is, you know, you mentioned about Fritz von Erich, and uh, if this was a real uh, channeling of old-school Texas wrestling, then when Vince took a stunner the next night, he would have done the uh, Fritz von Erich fake heart attack thing. Uh, I knew so. you were going there. Did it. you? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> this is. I figured you were gonna go there, or, or he would have been selling like you know Chris Benoit. Oh yeah, yeah. So there is, <laughs> there is that. And and the funny thing is, is that uh, as I say that, I'm gonna count on the other two points coming to me, uh, as, as my brother would say, subsequently. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, you know, I was going to say I forgot my other two points, but I remembered one of them, and, and one of them here is is that another name you mentioned in the course of all this and how they treat their legends is Harley Race. And Harley Race is somebody that popped into my mind when the – it may, he may sound like a weird guy to, pop, to come into mind when it came out how well the WWE did on this with social media and how they were bragging about we surpassed the Super Bowl in terms of impressions and stuff like that. Here's why I thought of Harley Race. Because if some dweeb in a suit had come up to Harley Race back in the day and showed him that, like, hey, look at how great a show this is. Look at the impressions on social media. When we lived in a much better America, Jake Digman, Harley Race would have put out a cigarette in the man's eyeball and everyone would have proclaimed it. <laughs> everyone would have acted like it was perfectly fine. Okay? That, it, we, we lived in better days when it was acceptable to treat people like that, you know, when they would get, go on there and brag about their social media impressions, as opposed to, you know, money-making metrics, which is what this is all supposed to be about in the first place. So WWE, again, gets away with their smoke and mirrors on all of this stuff and what their impressions were and everything, which, you know, again, had to really cheese offense. A good part of doing that was was biting Cody's whole AEW routine and bringing it in there. That was one of the things that spiked it the most. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick on the whole thing, you know, uh, if someone were done that to Harley Race. Yeah. I like, I, I, there was many years uh, on a podcast uh, a while back, somebody had asked the question. I think it was, it was, it was Cornette. They said, what would have been like if... Uh, um, if, if Twitter would have existed back in the day, would have been that express that Jim Cornette had been on Twitter? And if so, what, what do you think, you know, how do you think things would have been differently? And he responded, was basically like, if Twitter would have existed, or if cell phones would have existed like they do now, we'd all be in jail. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody would be in jail. And he's like, would we, would we be on uh, Twitter? No. <laughs> like, why would we want to be? Yeah, and, and you know what? You know what would have been, like, the greatest unanswered question? but No later than, than 1990, the greatest unanswered question in the history of pro wrestling would have been, what kind of a career could Ric Flair have had if social media hadn't come around for another 20 to 30 years? If, if all this stuff hadn't been exposed in real time, could Ric Flair have been one of the all-time greats? You know, we'd be having those conversations. <laughs> Oh my God! It, uh, well, you. But, uh, but yeah, overall, but you know, overall, as far as compared to previous past WrestleManias, uh, yeah, WrestleMania. I mean, 
it's for, for what it was for a show, it, I don't know if it was the biggest show of the year, but it, 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 uh, it was a good show, relatively speaking. I mean, and uh, had, had it ended right there. Yeah. <laughs> we just went home, and that was it. We're done. Okay, yeah. Cool. Night, night one, yeah, had it ended there, would have been fine.